Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom, or wherever you're listening, for this episode is Struan Murray. Welcome to the podcast, Struan. Hi, Helen. How are you doing? Not too bad. Hope you're well too. Very well, yes. Very well. Thank you. Good. Now, it's actually not that uncommon for authors to have another job when they aren't writing, especially at the start of their literary career. But I suspect the combination of children's novelist and lecture in biochemistry is a pretty rare one. However, that is how you divide your energy, isn't it? Uh-huh. Um, you have a PhD in genetics. And when you're not weaving fantastic tales about half-drowned cities and, and capricious gods, you're teaching students at the University of Oxford, no less, about molecular and cellular biology. Um, I also understand, according to your website, that you are, and I quote, the youngest of a large, rowdy family of redheads. So I have to say, I'm looking forward to a very lively conversation today. <laughs> <laughs> I should say that as the youngest of a rowdy family of redheads, I've ha- had to sort of learn to to keep quiet a lot of the time. So I don't know if that will <laughs> work, work See, I thought favor. that might make you the noisiest. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. Well, let's see how this goes. So before we talk a little bit more in depth about your book, Orphans of the Tide, which I loved, by the way, I wondered if it might be a good idea to get rid of a myth or two about the worlds of art and science Mm. and the overlap between them. I wonder what you think about this this separation that people have in their heads that art goes in one direction and science goes in another. Yeah. I think they're definitely both victims of, um, of, of they have particular kind of negative associations that they've each built up over the years. And I think, so, you know, science is always thought of as this very, like you have to be this cold kind of logical person who only thinks in numbers and, and, you know, equations. And then on the other side, artists are often thought of as you know lazy and kind of head in the clouds <laughs> whereas actually they're both incredibly similar in, in so many ways being, being an artist and being a scientist I mean you know a scientist has to think very creatively they're always having to think in very creative ways and you know a scientist has to have their head in the clouds sometimes just like an artist does just to kind of be inspired and and similarly artists have to work extremely hard and they have to be very disciplined just like just like scientists do they don't they don't get to just kind of sit around and like (laughs) you know wait wait for wait for great ideas to come to them absolutely and it's it's all it's all storytelling really isn't it yeah yeah yeah, that's you've definitely hit the nail on the head that at the end of the day when you're when you're a scientist you are trying to come up with you know, a story that explains how everything works, how the world works, how people work, yeah, um, how animals work, and uh, and you have to come up with a story to explain that. And and the you know the better you can communicate your story, the easier it is for other people to understand what you're trying to say. And and if you want to be a successful scientist, you have to be understood. You know, it's all very well and good having these extremely complex ideas, but if you can't explain them to someone then it doesn't really matter what your idea is. Exactly. I was wondering, have, have you always written stories? Have you always thought of yourself as a storyteller of some sort? 
I, to be honest, story novel writing specifically was something I kind of picked up maybe a bit later, more into my into my twenties. I've always been very artistic. I've always been drawing worlds and drawing ideas, and for the longest time, that was the main way that I tried to kind of put the stories in my head into. Um, you know, into some kind of, you know, onto a page. Yeah. And I think that for, for me, drawing and, and, and writing actually are very closely connected. And when I'm, when I'm writing down my story ideas, which I actually do on a, with a pen and paper, which, um, and so, you know, I'll be, I'll be scribbling away in words and then I'll kind of switch to drawing pictures instead just because it suddenly makes more sense. <laughs> And so the two things have always kind of been very closely connected in my head. And if you if you think back to to when you were at school and bringing up this this mm. art science divide again, did you feel that at school you were encouraged to go down one path or the other, or or was your creativity nurtured alongside your your scientific development? Do you think I, I, there was a definite sense of needing to go down one path? You know, when I was yeah. in high school, I, I, I was very, you know, I really wanted to go to university and study, study science. Um, and to do that, you know, you need to get three. Well, I, I come from Scotland where we do hires and advanced hires, but it's very similar. You know, you need to get your three A-levels in, um, in, a partic- in sciences and maths if you want to go and do science somewhere. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I did feel a little bit limited. Um, I was kind of, I, d- I did actually take an extra A-level in art um, in, in, to kind of keep that side of things going. But Like a conscious effort to keep the art in your life. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're, when you're writing, Strom, when you're, you're building this, this incredible immersive world where, where gods are, are pulled out of the bellies of whales and, and make bargains with mortals, mm. I mean, th- these, these are in- incredible things which you explain in a very real way do you do you find you have to switch off your scientific mind or or mm. does that actually inform how the story develops I, th- I don't think I'm ever consciously switching off I, to be honest I don't think of myself as having a scientific mind or, <laughs> a, or an artistic mind it's it's all kind of one and the same sure uh, I would say that when I'm thinking about you know world building I'm very particular in making sure that all the details fit in a way that feels real that feels like okay this this world could work which is very similar to when you're being a scientist and you're saying okay you know if, if this if it, does this animal meet, eat that animal does that make any sense um will people re- believe this um so i think in a way that that kind of way of of trying to make sense of the world definitely translates into my writing i think that's very reassuring for the reader as well isn't it if the reader can just relax knowing that that there's a there's a fundamental logic to all of this that makes sense then they can go anywhere with the story as as you take them along with it absolutely yeah your protagonist ellie um she's amazing she's this this young girl in a, a city that's entirely dominated by a, a male power structure but she's she's resourceful and brave she's an inventor and and there's also this deep 
sense of of grief mm. and guilt, which I can't go into too much <laughs> because I don't want to spoil the twists no in the book. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> um, but but I mean, where did where did Ellie come from, and and how did you make her so real? Mm. She, she, so the the world of the story kind of came first, or at least you know, I, I had I was struck with this. Um, been really uh i've been watching a lot of youtube videos about about what happens to whales when <laughs> when they when they die on land it's not very pretty is it i know i know and very very sadly the whales what, what happens is that they basically explode when they when they die on land if they're left for too long and i just thought wow that's, that's such a wonderful way to start a novel with this kind of <laughs> this threat of an exploding whale. <laughs> and then I kind of got struck by this image of a whale that's actually, you know, rather than being beached on, a, you know, beached on land, kind of on, on, on a beach, um, it's actually got stuck on a rooftop. Um, and I, 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 you know, I knew that obviously the, the, to stop a whale exploding, you, what you have to do, and again, very gruesome. And so I thought, perfect for, for, for a children's story. <laughs> you have to cut the whale open. So then I got to thinking, okay, well, what kind of person would know to do that? Yeah. And I had this, I already thought, okay, well, this is going to be a world of superstition because I want people to really think, oh, this whale is some kind of omen. It's, 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 it's not, it, you know, it bodes ill for the future. And I thought, okay, well, what kind of what kind of person would be in conflict with that kind of superstition? Who who wouldn't fit in in a superstitious world? And it would be someone who's very, who thinks very scientifically, and who 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 needs to have answers for to explain why things are the way they are. And uh, and so this kind of started to bubble into the beginnings of Ellie. So she really she really was the answer to a question, which was, you know, who, who could, who would know to cut this well open? Almost like she started writing herself. Yeah. And that's, those, those are always the most satisfying parts of creating a story. It's the parts that just take on life without you needing to put, kind of put too much work into them. And, and she's, you know, she, she, she I think I, I, whether consciously or not, she's a little bit based on me as, as a kid. I was, I, you know, Ellie lives in this great big messy workshop. Um, <laughs> With pockets full of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was, I was a very messy child, but I was a very artistic child. And my, my bedroom was just always kind of covered in bits of paper and sketches. Um, and then my, my dad actually is a, a sculptor um, who works mostly in wood. And so he, he had a workshop in our house growing up, which, again, was always extremely messy uh full of very dangerous machines <laughs> to have just lying around when you have children um and so i wanted to bring some of that into it as well so she's definitely she definitely kind of took on parts of my own life as she grew as a as a character she's incredibly real and i you know i can i can still feel her now even having finished the book a while ago that orphans of the tide it is an incredibly compelling read there's a lot of of delving into the interior lives of, of the characters, what they're feeling, why they do what they do. But it's also a properly pacey, thrilling adventure. There's, there's chases and perilous situations. And then 
always there's this ebb and flow of tension building up to what looks like a, a, a terminal crisis, then falling away just to start ramping back up again. And the reader is kept in suspense the whole while. Um, I think it would be great for our listeners to hear a little bit about how you keep that tension and suspense going, because it's it's a great thing to be able to to grab hold of in their own writing. Um, and I think it would probably help if we could hear a little bit of it. So if you've got your copy of the book where you are, I'm going to suggest we pause for a moment while you find the extract you'd like to share with us, and then we'll be right back. So, Strawn Murray, you are going to read a part of your book, Orphans of the Tide, for us now. Um, would you mind explaining just a little bit about where we are in the story mm. at this point, just to put us in the picture? Yeah, so in, in this, this little section, um, Ellie, our main character, um, has just had a big argument with her best friend, Anna, um, because Ellie is is keen, she's obsessed with keeping this boy called Seth safe. Um, Seth is is this uh, boy that Ellie <laughs> earlier in the book pulled from a whale, and so everyone thinks that he is in fact the vessel, uh, which means that he contains this ancient evil god called the Enemy, whose uh, only only aim and is to is to bring chaos and destruction to the world. Um, and so they've had this, this big argument and then, uh, Finn, who is this mysterious character who has some sort of tie with Ellie that we're not quite sure of, um, has actually threatened to, to hurt Anna, um, for his own mysterious reasons. And so in this, in this, uh, section, Ellie has, has run off to try and rescue Anna um, and has found her in this place called the Oystery, uh, which is this big network of, of kind of interconnected wooded, wooden platforms where they haul up uh, oysters and, and shellfish and things like that. Um, and somehow Finn has managed to set the Oystery on fire. <laughs> um, and so Ellie and Anna have just realized this and now have to escape from this blazing fire. Men were shouting and screaming. Somehow the platforms had caught fire. A hut, two staircases, and a long stretch of platform were already ablaze, and the flames were spreading at a terrifying pace, as if the wood had been coated with whale oil. Anna, Ellie cried. Ellie! They ran at each other, hugging tightly. Anna had dried tears on her cheeks, and smelled of cherries. Ellie looked around the oystery. Already the fire had claimed another platform and was racing down a wooden stilt towards the sea. If they didn't move quickly, there'd be no path back to the city, and they'd have no choice but to jump hundreds of feet into the sea below. Ellie had once read that falling into water from a great height was like falling into solid rock. She scanned the platforms, trying to figure out a path to safety. This way, she cried, 
taking Anna's hand. Of all the people in the oystery, they were by far the furthest out to sea. The fishermen were all running back as fast as they could. None had noticed the two girls trapped behind them. Ellie and Anna raced up a flight of stairs. The fire streaked out in all directions, consuming rope bridges and wood and spreading like a fiery spider's web. Below, Ellie could see flames licking at the dangling lobster traps. She kicked the levers of every winch they passed, dropping the lobsters back into the sea before they could be burned alive. It's okay, Anna said, as they crossed another swinging rope bridge. We'll make it. But then the fire reared up before them, and the bridge lurched beneath their feet. Down to their right, an entire platform collapsed into the sea as its wooden stilts gave way and its rope bridges crumbled to ash. No, no, said Ellie. She searched the faces of the hundreds of people who'd gathered along the waterfront, watching in horror. Where was Finn? Surely he wouldn't let her die. She took a deep breath and was about to speak when she spotted someone she did recognize standing apart from the crowd. It was Seth. He wasn't looking at them, though, but at the sea far below. His hands were out at his sides. His eyes were wide and wild. Ellie, said Anna, tugging at her sleeve and pointing downwards. Look, the sea was wild too, seething like a pot of boiling water. Waves crashed in all directions, as if some mighty creature were thrashing about beneath the surface. Then that same beast seemed to hurl itself from the water, a blue-black construction of seawater the size of a ship and rising upward, not towards the flaming, crumbling platforms, but towards the city, towards Seth. Oh, don't stop. Oh, you'll have to stop. We need to, we need to carry on talking. <laughs> that, that, oh, that, that is such... An exciting, thrilling scene. D- do you do you remember writing it? Was it exciting to write? Uh, do I remember writing it? I mean, I, I, the thing you mean. I remember rewriting it and rewriting it again, and 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 then tinkering some more, and then and then sort of removing commas where there shouldn't have been commas. That doesn't sound exciting. No, I do. I do remember the the initial. I mean, the initial um, kind of rush of 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 writing it and. You know, for me, the excitement was all about. I mean, I, I, I love, I love writing villains. I think <laughs> that's always my kind of favorite part of um, of a story, and I especially like the the kinds of villains whose presence is felt even when they're not in the Absolutely. scene. And for me, this is all this is all about Finn's kind of yes. playing playing games with Ellie and and threatening to hurt the people she loves and so those are always the most exciting scenes to write yes and we're just starting to get an idea of his his power aren't we mm. it's interesting that you're talking about editing and and fine-tuning what you're writing as as you go along because I wonder if that is what is key in in building suspense in, in a piece of writing and I'm interested to know what what kinds of of techniques you're using when you're you're going back over your writing to make sure it is it is as as suspenseful as mm. possible. I mean, to to me, what, uh, suspense basically just means 
there is there is a question that your reader really really wants the answer to and you are keeping the answer from them as long as you can but you're kind of just feeding them little crumbs a little trail towards the answer and just you know really milking it to try to make sure that they they um they keep they they get you know they get they, you get they get that sense of excitement that sense of oh my gosh I really want to know what it is because in in a way if you build if you build up suspense enough about a, a question it doesn't really matter what the, the the answer is just so long as, as as they get there in the end and I think when you when you are when I come back to redrafting and I'm thinking about is the suspense working I think you you've got to ask okay is is the question interesting enough? Is 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 it is it going to hook the readers in? And as it is on the page, are they going to think, okay, I really, really need to, uh, I need to know, you know, who who murdered the butler? You <laughs> know, you know, why is that massive dragon in the skies? You know, you've got to make sure that the question is really, really going to be, you know, burning in the reader's mind. Absolutely. And then is the is the question being answered in a satisfying way and and often what i like to do is to have many questions that almost overlap each other so but by the time they've answered one question a new question has already arisen that that will kind of so you're kind of leapfrogging them through the pages because they're they okay they, they they're they're searching for the answer to one question you know or are these are these characters going to survive this situation? And then, but while that's happening, you you pose a new question to them, so that when we we would discover, oh, actually, the characters are have survived. They already have a new question that they want to ask, and that that's how you you kind of keep the pace going. Listeners to the podcast um, are probably pretty well up on their their writing techniques. Um, they'll have been they'll have been taught this, um, and they'll they'll have probably spotted plenty of, of the techniques that, that they've been taught in school for creating suspense and, and building tension. Um, things like short sentences, mm. punctuating the longer ones, um, you know, it was Seth, um, using all the senses, Anna smelling of, of, of cherries, mm. unanswered questions, you know, where was Finn? Surely he wouldn't let her die. And, and then you know, figurative language. Um, there's some personification in there that the fire had claimed another platform and, and was racing down a, a wooden stilt. Mm. Um, I, I suppose I'm interested in knowing if those are, are techniques you use deliberately, like a, um, a workman with a, with a toolkit. I, I shall put some personification here and, and I will put a short sentence mm. here. Or, or is it more organic than that? I, d I mean, I'm definitely not thinking of words like personification when, <laughs> while I'm writing, but, but I am thinking things like, well, for this scene to be really scary, the, the fire itself needs to feel like the villain. It needs to feel like the the the, th the, the monster in the story, and so yeah. you know, describing it as a as, as a monster or as a as a living creature makes it seem much more frightening. Absolutely, and there's another brilliant device that you use um, is this um, introduction of, of the diary entries from a again need to be careful no spoilers but there's a significant character who mm. is um, actually already dead by the time the story starts but these diary entries drip feed clues about the mystery that's unfolding mm -hmm. alongside the plot where, where did you get that idea from um so interestingly the, the the diary actually existed within the story 
before those actually diary chapters were there. There had always been this character called Hestermeyer, who was the previous um, previous vessel, so the previous person to be inhabited by the the enemy. Um, and his and his his diary was kind of referenced, but you never actually saw inside it. Um, and then much more, kind of quite late actually in the process of writing, of redrafting, um, it was actually my, my agent actually suggested, oh, why don't you, uh, why don't we actually get to see this? And actually it, it, really, um, it really changed the whole, the way the story worked because um, so, so one of the, something, uh, uh, something you have to do in, in, in stories, particularly fantasy stories where you have a world that, the reader isn't used to is something called exposition, which basically is where 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 you you explain to the reader why things are the way they are. You know, why 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 is the sky red in your <laughs> fantasy world, or or why does everyone ride around on on you know giant slugs or whatever? <laughs> um, and the great thing about having these diary entries is actually that was where I was able to put a lot of the the ex- exposition. Because there's nothing worse than when you have a, a really fast-paced, exciting scene, and then all the characters stop to kind of explain <laughs> what's going on, or, or basically. And I think it's the problem is that you, the reader, feels like they're being spoken to directly, and and that kind of shatters the illusion of being involved in this story. So, to have this person who was writing down his experiences of of what it's like to be the vessel, which is very important to this story, um. And meant I had a very organic way of explaining how lots of things worked, which were directly relevant to Ellie's story and Seth and, and Seth's story as well. Yeah, I definitely felt as, as a reader that that this was kind of a, a rope that I was holding on to as as mm. I moved through through this world. It was it, mm. it, it's really yeah, it, it's really brilliant device. Um, any teachers or parents who are listening to this, just a reminder that, as usual, we've put together a fantastic set of activities um, inspired by Orphans of the Tide that are designed to help children come up with um, amazing, suspenseful writing of their own. These, these are free to download at plazoom.com, along with hundreds more literacy resources. So please do take a look at those. Um, we're just going to pause for a moment and then we'll be back and we'll find out what's next for Struan and your characters. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with me, Helen Mully, speaking to Struan Murray. Struan, are there more stories on the horizon or or are you too busy focusing on the biochemistry now um no there are there there is a sequel coming oh, a good. sequel to orphans of the tide called shipwreck island uh, which is coming uh march 4th uh, 2021 so wonderful in not not too distant future um so it yeah it follows follows straight on from orphans of the tide um, but it takes the takes the characters to a strange new setting with lots of new mysteries to solve. And is it easier or harder to write a sequel? Ah, that's a good question. Um, it is it's definitely different um, <laughs> because on the on the sort of on the to get the negatives out of the way first, 
um, you are you are a bit more constrained because you, you know, uh, unlike when you start a novel for the for the first time, you know, thing when you things are already set in stone. You know, you you know that these are these are the characters. This is the kind of yeah. things that can happen in your world. You know, you can't suddenly move your story to Mars if you want to. <laughs> But then that, that 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 negative is also kind of a positive because, okay, things are kind of constrained. You 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 don't have to worry. Okay, I'm going to set my novel on Mars or Jupiter or in you know some other galaxy. Like you can, you just that question's already answered. And it was also it's been really nice to return to characters who I'm very familiar with. You know, I feel like I know them in a in a much better way than I did when I start, started writing the first book and. That's been a really wonderful experience to try and to say, okay, well, what what kind of new stories can I tell with these characters? What kind of new struggles can they get into, and uh, what kind of problems can they overcome? And, and actually, that's been really nice. That's really exciting, and I know anyone who has already read Orphans of the Tide will be really excited about reading the sequel. Anyone who's listening who hasn't read it, I, I thoroughly recommend it. It's it's a really gripping, strange, exciting, warm, sad, funny book. It's 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 really, really great read. Struan, thank you so much for taking part in Author in Your Classroom. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. It's 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 been a, a real pleasure. As I said, I can't wait to read the next instalment of Orphans of the Tide, but I'd also love to see what our listeners come up with after they've listened to what you've had to say and and work through the resources pack. So teachers and parents, if you'd like to share your pupils' work, you can drop me an email at helen.mully at theteachco.com. And I might even be able to get some feedback from Struan himself. What do you think, Struan? Absolutely. All ears. That's great. And of course, my email address can be found in the episode notes for this episode. And that's us. Thank you so much for being with us, Struan. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you for the next episode. Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with Author in Your Classroom and Plazoom.